welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you've been inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Mr. Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Wow. How good is our God? How powerful is His Word? You know, His Word that, 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 uh, that He imparted uh, to, to so many different writers so many thousands of years ago is still relevant, it's still alive, it's still the exact thing that we need to hear every day to go and live a life of empowered living. And, uh, you know, we, we have these scriptures each month that, uh, that, the elders, um, that the elders challenge you to read. And, uh, you know, we've, we've actually put them around the church. Each, the scripture for each month is around the church, and you can go and have a look at those because we've, we've challenged each of us this year to, to take these things. You know, we use that concept of mezuzah, which means to, to make the promises of God, to make the word of God visible in our life so that we cannot walk past it without acknowledging it. See, when we acknowledge who God is and what he's said about us, then we get, we get challenged in our hearts to go and live according to his ways. And, and, and not the burden of his ways, the liberty of his ways. So I just want to encourage you this morning to, 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 go, to listen and to read and, and to, 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 to go and, and, and do those things that the elders are encouraging you to do. I want you to consider, consider this thought that, that God... At the end of his creation, he looked at everything that he created and he said, it is good. He said that it was good. And uh, here's, here's a concept that I want to talk to you about because when we, look in this, when we look around the world, we see so much what we call evil. We see so many things that, we, that, are, that are destructive and, and God, everything that God created, he said was good. So evil is not something that God created. Evil is, is the, cor- the corruption of the created. And therefore, if it's just the corruption of the created, then we serve a redeemer so that every evil that we see can be redeemed. So he's, he, we're, not, we're not to be afraid of the evils that we see. We're, we're called to be, to be conduits of the redemptive power of his grace to all that evil. We've been talking a little bit about uh, eternal actions. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, the simplicity of eternal actions is that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So when we look at the challenges in front of us, when we look at the circumstance around our lives and we, do, and we decide that it is that it is not good or even that it is evil, we understand that, that there is an opportunity for redemption and there's also an original intention. God, when he created you, when he created that person who's challenging you, he created them with an intention to be a person who worships the king of all kings. And then when it all didn't happen according to that plan, he sent his son so that they could be redeemed. So no matter where you're looking, no matter what you see, we need to understand that we serve the the alpha and the omega whose original intention was for good. And he declared it good. He declared you good. He declared those around you good. He declared those people who are hurting you good. Sometimes they're not walking in that good, so they they just haven't met the redeemer of all that is good yet. So I want to to encourage you that, that, um, that there is always a way. We got um, Pastor Levi's son Cedric with us this morning, and uh, from from um, 
from the Solomon Islands. And Pastor Levi always says, God will make a way where there is no way. Big boat, come tomorrow. That's what he always says. When, when you're stranded on one island, big boat, come tomorrow. God will make a way where there is no way. So evil is not, cre- not created. Evil is not created. Therefore, it can be destroyed by the power of redemption. See, eternal actions consider not only the potential redemption, but the original intention. Redemption and intention. God had great intentions for all of humanity, but yet when humanity fell, he gave a backup plan of redemption so that his intentions could be restored and renewed. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given you an identity statement. He has called you the restorers of the breach. So where there's been a breach, he has called you to be a restorer of that breach. I want to, want to consider a, a, a concept this morning. It's, it's called primary and secondary greatness. Primary means it came first. Secondary means it came second. It's quite a simple concept. Um, everyone get that? Everyone got the primary and secondary? Here's the thing in life. We're generally, we're generally looking at secondary greatness. We're generally looking at things, that, that, um, things like ownership, things like wealth, things like power, things like knowledge, pleasure, things like business, things like science, things like singing. You know, we look at these, we look at these things, and I, I want to I submit to you this morning that these are secondary greatnesses. But when we look around, when we say that person's a great person, when we say, wow, what a great thing you've done, we're thinking generally of secondary things. His primary goodness, primary greatness, on the other hand, is eternal life. It's principle. It's character. It's conscience. It's morality. It's sacrifice. It's humanity. You see, there's a primary greatness that needs to come before the secondary greatness. And he's called us to be present, doesn't, hasn't he? He's called us to be present. And we're, be, and we're present in these secondary things. We're present in our work, in our wealth, in our generosity. We're present in our, in our relationships, in our fame. We're present through, through our business. We're present through all of these different things. But he's called us to be faithfully present. And we're faithful through primary greatness. We're present through secondary greatness. I think it might have been... Um, it might have been Gandhi who said, the things that will destroy us are politics without principle, pleasure without conscience, wealth without work, knowledge without character, business without morality, science without humanity, and worship without sacrifice. You see, what we see with our eyes are the secondary things. What we know in our heart are the primary things. And it's, it's, if, if we are to be a people that, that live with eternal actions as our motivation, he wants us to operate out of, this, out of the primary goodness. You know, when he, declared, when he declared things good, you know, when he declared you good, when he created you, he was, he, was, he was implanting into your heart these things of character, these things of intention. You know? and, and the desires of your heart for the secondary greatness he's saying to you this morning need to be grounded on primary greatness. Why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about eternal actions. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 6. The first three verses I summarise again, like last week, that Jesus made you alive, who were caught in the ways of the world, the flesh and the devil. And then in verse 4 it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And has raised us up with Christ and made us to sit with him, that's God, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in, in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. He has seated us with him, with God, in heavenly places in Christ. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says we are in Christ in the heavenlies, but on earth we are the hope of the world, Christ in us. So we're in him and he's in us. So both things are happening at the same time. And I, you know, I want to suggest to you that we access a heavenly perspective because we are in him. But we bring that heavenly perspective or we bring that heavenly hope to humanity, to those around us, because he is in us. We're in him for perspective. He is in us so that we can share the hope to humanity. We are in him so that we can see properly. He is in us so that we can live out what we see. We are in him and he is in us. We are in him so that we can see. He is in us so that we can live out what we see. See, what happens when we see things from his perspective, we gain different beliefs. When we look at, when we look at things from an earthly perspective, you know, our beliefs are based on this perspective. When we're looking down on things, we see a heavenly perspective and it shifts our beliefs about what is possible. It shifts our beliefs about the intentions of, of, of what's going on around us and we shift our beliefs and then we shift our beliefs, we shift the way that we live. See, we all live according to our beliefs. Sometimes we declare a belief in something, but we live a different way, which really speaks to what we truly believe. When we see correctly, interpret it well and apply it to our life, we begin to live in this freedom that Jesus speaks about. He says in Galatians, for freedom's sake I have set you free. You know, it's, it's when we begin to see from his perspective, when we, when we begin to believe in who he is and what he's done for us and that he's our saviour, and we begin to live according to those new beliefs, we, we understand that freedom that Jesus was talking about. Three things, observe, interpret, and apply. Last week we talked about observation. We considered things like this. We said, as we learn to observe God's word more completely, we begin to see our own lives with more clarity. You see, most of the time when we're looking at our lives outside of God's word, we tend to see the challenges. We tend to see the problems. When we look at our, our lives through God's word, we begin to see our identity in him. We begin to see who he says we are. And then when we look at our circumstances from that perspective, it doesn't adjust our identity. It may be a challenge. It may be a problem that needs to be solved, but our identity is secure in who he says that we are. You are my children. He's saying, I love you. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's, he, he's, when he speaks, life happens. He speaks life. He speaks hope. We talked about how we look at life. We talk about the five senses. We, you know, we, we see, we feel, we taste, we touch, we smell. We, and the other one. And the, um, 
You know, we feel things. We get angry, we, we, we fear, we lust, we, we laugh, we enjoy. You know, we think intellect, we look intellectually. What am I thinking about this? What have I learnt about this? What am I imagining about this? We talk about our will. Where do we want to go? Do I, do I want to get the, get, the, get the heck out of here or do I want to fight for this thing, fight or flight? What is your will? What is your will to do? Is it to take on this challenge or is it to run from this challenge? And spiritually, what does God have to say? You know, so we, we, we look at these things and we, we tend to get stuck in life when we observe the challenges of life from only one aspect. If you look at life purely through your senses and you don't look at what God's word says, then you will get stuck in that place. If you look at life emotionally and don't, and don't, and don't actually ever think about what your emotions are saying, you'll get stuck in that place. If you only look at God's word and you never actually interact with other people, you'll get stuck in that place. You'll be challenged. Why aren't all the believers like me? Why don't they know what, what I'm doing? But, you know, I'm in the word. But he's saying, hang on a second. You need to speak the truth in love. Love is about relationship. So I brought the challenge to you that the way that we study the word is the way that we need to look at our lives. We look at our lives the way that we study the word. How do we study the word? We observe it well. We ask the questions like, whom is it speaking to? What is it saying? When did it happen or will it happen? Where is it going to happen? Where did it happen? Why did it or will it happen? And how did it or will it happen? We ask those questions. And then, you know, Jesus says this. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. I want to challenge you this morning that a lot of people were listening to Jesus, but not a lot of people were hearing him. Because everyone heard him say, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But not everyone heard what he was saying. I want to challenge you here that the, dif the difference here that Jesus was talking about is the difference between curiosity and studiousness. See, many heard Jesus out of curiosity. Here's this guy who's done miracles. Here's this guy who's famous. Here's this guy who, you know, who, who, um, who was born of a virgin. Here's this, you know, they were curious about Jesus, but they weren't studious about Jesus. Many heard Jesus out of curiosity, but some listened that they might take to heart what he said. That they might set out to practice the things that he said in their lives. Who are those who have ears to hear? The ones who diligently concentrate on the words of Christ that they may consider them and they may obey them. You see, sometimes we pick up this word and we, we consider the words that we're going to obey and we consider the words that we're not going to obey. But if we believe that he is the saviour and he is the author and he is the finisher and that he is the giver of life and that he is the creator and that his intentions are for good and that, it, that he sees a future full of hope in our lives, then our goal is not to choose what we will serve, it's to choose who we will serve. And then when we consider the words of our saviour, we consider all of them and then we, once we've considered them, we obey them. This is the challenge of this walk. You know, if we listen to, to Christ's word from a secondary greatness, according to our business, according to our wealth, according to our, our fame, we may come to the conclusion that God sent his son so that he could take me out of poverty and turn me into someone who is wealthy and famous. That was the goal of him sending his son. 
if we hear from primary greatness, we begin to see things very differently. When we read his word from the, from the perspective of eternal life, we begin to see that he has called us to be restorers of the breach. He has said, my hope is in you. He said, I've given you this heaven, heavenly perspective so that you can see and I've put my, my spirit in you so that you can deliver that hope to those around you. So we observe the word. That's what last week was all about. Once we've observed the word, once we've observed our lives from a new perspective, we need to interpret it and then we need to apply it. So let's talk a little bit about interpretation. What does it all mean? When you read the scripture, what does it mean? Romans 15, 4 says this, whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So when you read scripture, you know, you need to ask yourself some serious questions. You need to interpret it. You need to ask yourself, okay, I know what it's saying. I've observed the scripture. Now, what does it mean? What's the context of this verse? Where, what's the full counsel of God? What, is it, what does God's nature and character have to say? You see, if we live by, if we shift our lifestyle based on one verse that we've taken out of context in this word, we can get caught in a pathway that's totally outside of his kingdom. He wants you to live according to his ways because only in his ways is there true freedom. Does this scripture that you're reading contradict another scripture? If it does, you're reading it incorrectly because God's word doesn't contradict God's word. Sometimes we just need to look at it totally literally. Was it, is it historical? You know? Is it poetic? Is it proverbial? Is it a teaching word? Is it biographical? What, what is it? Because sometimes we can look at someone's story and take it as a prophetic word over our lives, yet it was just someone's story in the word of God. You see, when we read testimony, when we read the Word of God, it's not so that it can be relived that way in our lives. We, read the test we listen to testimony because when we hear what God has done, we understand that God can do all things. Therefore, the hopes and the dreams and the desires and the challenges that are before us, we can, we can attack with confidence and with faith because we serve an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-achieving, all-hopeful God. So what about when you look at your own life? You ever have a conversation with someone you know, and, you, and, and within that conversation there's a, there's a challenge to your worth. There's an, a challenge to your identity. It may be a husband or a wife. It may be a boss. It may be, it may be one of your students. It, may be a, it could be anywhere. And some, you, you, you sense this challenge to your identity. And the question is, what's the context of this conversation? Where is this coming from? What's the nature and the character and the intentional of the source of this conversation? You see, people are always speaking. And, and the, the difference between a person speaking and a God speaking is that God is perfect and unbroken. And his intentions are always pure. They're not selfish. But when people speak, we tend to speak out of our brokenness. We tend to speak out of our challenge. We tend to, we're, we tend to always trying to perk ourselves up. We, te we, we get caught in weak moments. A lot of the time we're encouraging, but then every now and then we, we're discouraging because we're walking in a little bit of our own brokenness. 
So here's the thing. What's the context of the conversations that you're in right now? Is someone speaking something to you that contradicts what God has said about you? See, when God looks at you, he sees beauty. When God looks at you, he sees potential. When God looks at you, he sees hope. When God looks at you, he sees the ability to restore others. When other people don't see what God sees. One of, my, one of the prayers that I love to pray for people about is that, Lord, open the eyes of this person so that they might see what you see when you look at them. Because when God looks at you, he sees goodness. And when cre- he created you, he said, you are good. And if anyone says anything outside of that, anything that contradicts that you are good, then it is not right. It's for you to be dismissed and rejected. And for, you know, we don't reject the person, we reject the accusation. We don't, reject, we don't reject people, we reject things that are outside of God's word, outside of his goodness. Does this environment, does the environment that you're living in contradict what God has said about you? He said, I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. When you look at your environment in the natural, you go, well, where's the abundance here? Think of Jesus. Jesus walked through the cross. He walked through the burden of that whole process up leading up to the cross. And he's saying, this is abundant life. See, what happens is there's challenges that we face. There's, you know, we need to walk through these tough times. And God's saying, there's an abundance if you will look at it from my perspective and not your perspective. You see, we walk in the challenges, but there, but there is a hope in the midst of challenge. And when our hope is in eternal life, then we can see the challenge for what it is and we can make better decisions inside that challenge. Ask yourself this question. Have I accepted an identity based on an environment that I didn't choose? You see, we all have, we've all been brought up different ways. We've all been to different schools. We've all been to different churches. We've all had different circumstances happen to us. We've all, we've all experienced different aspects of trauma in our lives and that can lead us to, to, to taking on identity statements about ourselves that are contrary to what God is saying about us. He's saying today, when you are interpreting your environment Make sure you're interpreting it the way that you look at my word. Interpret it through my intention. You are interpreting, you know, he says, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. So when you look at your life, your your goal is not to to take on identities that that aren't attached to hope. There is always hope. There is always hope. And he's saying, as long as you put your hope in me, there is always hope. If you put your hope in people, and if you put your hope in circumstances, then you will, it'll, it'll come out of your view. And then we need to apply the words, don't we? We observe it. We ask ourselves, what does it mean? And then we look at the application. In James 1, to 25, it says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face, in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, 
and is not, forget, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, he's called us to be doers of the word. You know, doing is where the application happens. We can read this book all day, we can study it, we can teach it, but unless we apply it, there will be no transformation. This word, without application, is like parking a Ferrari in your garage and never driving it. I had a friend who, um, his life dream was to buy a Ferrari and it spent most of its time in the garage and uh, he left town for a few weeks and asked me to you know, just drive it around the block a few times just so it was okay. And so I drove it around the block a few times and uh, you know, I was a doer of the word that day. And I would pick up, I picked up many of my friends and uh, we drove it around the block a few times. You see, some of us learn, don't we? Some of us are avid readers and listeners. Some of us, are, we, we, we love to absorb, we listen to preachers, we go and study things, we, we come and listen to nuclear physicists talk about, you know, atoms and origins of life and all this crazy stuff. The question is, how are we applying it to our lives? How are you applying what you know, what God has said about you, to your life? How are you walking in the confidence that He has given you? Have you got a Ferrari parked in your garage and you drive to church in your combi van? Here's your Ferrari. Here's your Ferrari. That box at home, you know, that flat one that's sitting on the wall, that's your combi van. He's saying, make sure you're taking the Ferrari for a spin very regularly because in it there is power, in it there is, there is speed of getting there. You know, we, we, you know um, Ian talked this morning about things happen immediately. You know what I mean? When you're going from here to the shops in the Ferrari, you get there a lot quicker than when you're going in the combi van. The Word of God can take you places that, that, that other things cannot take you. They can get you there. It can get you there quicker. It can, you, know, some, you know what happens? Jesus, he says, he says humble yourselves. All right? He says, humble yourselves. If you humble yourself, you get there quickly. If life humbles you, which it will if you don't humble yourself, it takes a lot longer and you're a lot lower than, uh, than if you humble yourself. See, if you humble yourself, you're still walking in his strength. If you are humbled by circumstance, you are lying on the ground. It's a very different scenario, isn't it? But he's, if we listen and apply his word, if we humble ourselves, it works out a lot better and there's a lot less scar tissue than there is by being humbled by the situation of life. How are you applying truth and wisdom? 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. There you go. That's what this book's all about. Okay, let's look at teaching or doctrine. Once you understand what the Word of God teaches, once you understand what it teaches, here's the challenge. You are obliged once you understand it, you're obliged before God to accept that truth and to live according to it. You see, when he gives you a revelation, when a revelation comes, 
you know, if, we're, if we want him as our saviour, there's an obligation there to accept truth and live according to it. And here's a truth about you. You are righteous in his name. Here's a truth about you. No yesterday can rob you of your tomorrow. Here's a truth about you. No word of a man can define you or end you because he is the author and finisher of life. You see, now that you know these things, now that he has revealed those things to you, you are obliged, obliged to believe them and to walk according to them. You see, the beauty of being humble is that we walk in his strength. When we're humbled by situations, we're walking in our strength. So when we accept the truth of what God's word has said about you, you can stand tall, not because you're, not because you're proud, but because you're standing in his strength. You can declare over situations, not because you're the authority, but because he is the authority. What about reproof? Reproof, uh, my suggestion is that you read reproof like this, constructive criticism. It's one of my gifts, constructive criticism. If you, ever, if you would like some, come and see me. I love giving it. It's one of my, it's one of my delights. Constructive criticism. Exposing areas in your thinking and behaviour that don't align with God's word. Come see me, I'll expose them for you. Gives me joy. Here's the thing. Constructive criticism is one of the greatest, greatest things for us to seek. You know, we, we, you know, we, people, you know, Fortune 500 companies pay millions and millions of dollars for advisory boards to give them constructive criticism about how they're running their business. This word of God, this word, this Ferrari right here, this is full of constructive criticism that can take those things, those, those areas of your life, those, those things that are, that are out of line from his word and bring them back. See, the application is to accept it, agree with God and acknowledge the wrong thinking. Proverbs one twenty three says this, turn at my reproof. Turn at my reproof and behold, I will pour out my spirit onto you and I will make known my words to you. Wow. You see, our God, he doesn't have, a, you know, he, when he gives you a correction, when he, when he, when he brings a, a reproof to you, when he, when he brings some constructive criticism, it's not to take anything away from you, it's so that you can have more life so that you can have more abundance, so that you can walk in more blessing, so that you can deliver more of his hope to those around you. What about correction? A lot of times we see what's wrong, but we're reluctant to take the necessary steps to correct it. You know, you know there's those areas in your life that are kind of out of line with the gospel, but you don't take the steps because they're a little bit comfortable. There's little comfort areas. You know, the, when you take the, the spoonful of peanut butter out of the jar, you know that it's not a great idea, but just, it's so good, isn't it? It's so good. You know, a plane flight from, from, um, from Australia to Hong Kong, from Brisbane to Hong Kong, is constantly off course. It spends the whole time correcting its course. Because it knows where it's headed, but the winds take it off course. It knows where it's headed, but the, the turbulence 
shifts its direction. So it's constantly correcting its course. And here's the thing. We know where we're headed. We're headed for eternal life. We know what our call is. Our call is to be restorers of the breach. But circumstances and the words of men and the challenges of life take us off course slightly. So we're constantly looking to correct our path. It's not a negative thing. Correction is not that you're doing something wrong. It's that you've just slightly drifted off course and you want to bring it back over so that you're walking in hope, not, not heading towards a direction that's not helpful to you or to those around you. And the last one, training in righteousness. This book is a handbook for living. It's amazing, you know, if you, if you do something crazy like read a, a chapter of Proverbs a day, uh, you will gain wisdom beyond your understanding. You know, when you... I challenge my team to, to be hanging around people who do what they do at a higher level. And sometimes you know, you're, you're connecting with people who are, who are thinking and communicating at a level above you. And when you spend time with them, you're out of your depth and you don't know what to say and you don't know how to contribute. But here's the thing. Once you've been with them and you go back to your old life, you are thinking at a level higher than you used to think. You see... Here's the challenge that I. Here's the challenge in life. Our, we're constantly trying to reach the lowest common denominator. We want to be connected to the people. I'm a man of the people, and God's saying, "No, no. Your your, your job is not to get to the lowest common denominator. Your job, your goal is to raise the denominator. Your goal is not to speak a language that connects to people. Your goal is to raise the language of the people. You know, we love reading different versions of the Bible that are easier for us to understand. That are, We love the message and the new living and all these things. They're great. Read them. But when you're studying, make sure that you do not fear the hard language. You know, if you read Psalm chapter 4, verse 1 in, in, in the, the New King James, it says, Lord, relieve me in my distress. If you read it in the Old King James, it says, Lord, enlarge me in my distress. You know, it's a total totally different verse, isn't it? There's, there's, so the, the, the Lord wants us to be a people who walk according to what he has said, not according to how we want him to say it. Don't be afraid of the hard words. Read, read the Bible in the versions that you, that you know and love, but when you're studying it, when you're choosing to make a belief out of something, make sure that you've dug deep. Make sure that you've studied it well. Make sure that you've run it across a, a plurality of advisors so that when you have, it gets filtered, it gets challenged. Don't have a belief that you're not prepared to let get challenged. If your beliefs cannot stand up, in the face of challenge, then they're not founded and grounded properly in the Word of God. You see, you don't need to defend the Word of God. The Word of God stands on its own. The Word of God stands strong on its own. You don't need to defend it. It is the source. It is, it is, it is key to life. You don't need to defend it. You need to stand upon it. It is your defense. You're not its defense. It is your hope. You're not its hope. We deliver it. You know, we carry it with us. We carry the word. And it's not just the words on this page. It's the revealed word. He said, you know, I'm leading you by my spirit. You know, my word is alive in you. I've written it on you. I've written my law on your heart. It's not about, it's not, it's, it's not about words on a page. It's about revealed truth in your heart so that when you go, you go in his name for his glory and by his strength 
and in his hope. You see, the goal of every preacher, every personal Bible study, every discipleship course, all these things is simply this. It's a transformed life and a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Transformation. Transformation comes when you apply truth and wisdom to your everyday life. So how do we look at your life? Does your current conversation, your circumstance have anything to teach you? Is it teaching you anything good? Is it some constructive criticism in your current circumstance? Is there a positive directional change in your circumstance, in the conversations that you're having? Can you find some help for living? Can you find some wisdom or truth in it? If it is, then maybe you can accept some of it. Here's the challenge that we have in life. People, people, some of the greatest things that you'll ever learn are going to come from people who don't communicate them well. You see, we first look for people who tickle our ears and then we hope there's some truth in the midst of what they're saying. But the Lord's saying, sometimes the truth that you need to hear is going to be delivered through someone who doesn't present it in a way that's exciting, that doesn't present it in a way that, that puts a smile on your face, that doesn't present it in a way that you're hoping they'll present it. But at the end of the day, wisdom is wisdom and truth is truth and they're the things that we need to seek. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. You know, we don't need to seek out joyful, we don't need to seek out um, uh, happy communication, we need to seek out wise communication because that's what we need to walk in. We don't need to, be a, we don't need to, to, to worry about, about boredom. We need to read books. You know the books that I read, they're so boring. But I love them because I feel the wisdom that comes out of them. You know, people who have considered the deep things of life are not necessarily Hollywood qualified at delivering those deep things. So maybe you can accept some of it. If it's outside of those things, then you need to seek teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction for righteous living elsewhere. Why doesn't the band jump up? He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The God who is, he's totally relevant right now. He's the God who always was, and he's the God who is to come. You see, he is active. He is is relevant. He is working right now in your life and around you. But he was also active from the beginning, and he's continuing to be active throughout eternity. So as we think, as we consider life, as we consider what it means to, be, to, to, to live according to eternal actions, we need to think from that concept. You know, the, these verses that we're talking about this year, to become a house of inheritance, you know, we, we know that his word is a lamp unto our feet. It's relevant today. It's full of hope today. But it's also a light unto our path. And the path didn't start today. The path started at creation. So it's continuing on. So we need to look back at the pathway from yesterday and all the way through to eternal, our eternal tomorrow and put today in that perspective. 
Lord, give us hope for today, but give us the perspective of life gone before us and life coming after us so that when we sow seeds, we sow seeds of hope. When we sow seeds, we sow seeds of truth and of righteousness. When we speak, we speak the, we speak the authority of God's word, not the authority of our experience. Why don't you stand with me this morning? You are in Christ for perspective so that you can see your life clearly, so that you can see your circumstance clearly. Christ is in you so that you can bring what you see to the world around you, so that you can bring hope to the world around you. The goodness of God is everywhere. Some of it's been breached some of the goodness has been breached. There is a gap. There is a brokenness between what he declared good and what we're seeing with our eyes right now. And he has called you. This is part of your identity. He has called you a restorer of the breach. And he's challenging you today to go and to be that restorer. To go and understand that he has given you eyes to see from the heavenlies. He's given you a new perspective to see. And he's also put his Holy Spirit in you so that you can deliver what you see, so that you can deliver that hope, so that you can invite people into a place of redemption in the mighty name of Jesus. Let me pray for you all this morning. Father, we give you the glory. We give you the praise. We thank you, Father, that you have given us all things that pertain to life. We thank you that our salvation is secure. We thank you that our hope is secure. We thank you that we are eternal, yet we are relevant in this moment. We thank you that you created us with good intentions and that you have a good intention for us in the future. So we take our moment that we're in right now. We take our circumstances. We take those words that have been spoken over us and we declare to them to submit to what the Almighty God says. And the Almighty God says, I am the author and the finisher of faith. I am, I am your source of your identity and I will decide when you end. So Father, we submit our lives to you and we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise and we declare our hope and we declare our trust is in you alone. Let's worship, church.